Hello, listeners. I'm Amanda. I'm Jamia. I'm Jamila. And we are Live Voices. Here from librarians of color, what speaks to the fullness of their careers, including successes and challenges. How do they do it? Join us to find out more about their Live Voices. Welcome to season two, episode two. Today we have an interview with Dr. Renata Chancellor. Dr. Renata Chancellor is Associate Professor and Chair of the Department of Library and Information Science at the Catholic University of America. Her research focuses on human information behavior, organizational leadership, and social justice in LIS. She has presented her research in both national and international venues. Her recent publications include Struggling to Breathe, COVID-19, Protests, and the LIS Response, HBCUs and LIS Education, Revisiting DeMont 35 Years Later, and her book, E.J. Josie, Transformational Leader in the Modern Library Profession. Dr. Chancellor is recipient of the Elise Leadership Award and the Elise Excellence in Teaching Award. So what drew you to librarianship? Well, um, I guess when I was in college many years ago, I worked in a library. My plan at the time was to become a lawyer. So I majored in history, poli-sci, an undergraduate, um, for, as an undergrad. And then when I graduated, the plan was to go take the LSAT, the law school admissions test, and then go to law school. But I was a little bit lazy, or maybe I wasn't inspired to do that. So I actually got a job working at a law firm, which was like the best thing that ever happened to me because um, in the interim, I, I decided to go back to school to become a paralegal just to really test the water, see if this is really what, what I wanted to do. So I got a job at a law firm, working with attorneys, and I realized that mm, that's not, this is not for me. I don't want to do this. But I did transfer in the law firm to work in their library. And which really set out um, for me to work in law libraries. So I, I, I've only really worked in the professional realm in law libraries. So I worked at a large firm, and then I went on to work at UCLA Law Library, and um, kind of the rest is history. You are one of the many wannabe lawyers, or almost lawyers that we have spoken to. So this is really, it's starting to get funny now. There's a lot of uh, almost lawyers in the profession. Mm -hmm. It's really kind of cool. Yeah, interesting. As uh, PLC, what do you view as critical to the success of the field? That is such a loaded question because I can be here all day, all night, up to next week, you know, responding to this question because there is so much, right? Um, as a person of color, and I have to say I'm a faculty member, I teach um, at Catholic University. I'm actually the chair of our Department of Library and Information Science. So I'm in charge of educating um, this generation of LIS faculty members, you know, LIS students. And so I feel that what's critical is to bring people into the field who are, who represent communities, 
people, I, I feel like there is such an underrepresentation of people of color in our in our field that um, I feel like probably the my as in my current role, one of the foremost um, most important things is is for us to educate and to bring it to the field people of color um, because it speaks to the fact that um, although there are not a lot represented in our in our profession from color people that we interact in society it's largely largely becoming the majority of color right and so that's really important um so when people come into libraries they come into archives they go into museums they see represent they they are represented and so i think that's critical uh, and and that can i mean that's all the way from educating them to be in the positions um in these field, in um, in these institutions, as well as being in, as leaders in management in these um, respective um, organizations like libraries, archives, and museums. That's definitely great points. So that goes into our next question: How do you promote equitable practices through your work in the library? Well, one of the things that I do, like I said, I'm I'm an educator, so. Um, just kind of go back. Um, when I mentioned earlier that I became interested in libraries, I started working at UCLA, and it was at UCLA I decided, oh, I'm working as um, like a library assistant. Why don't I go become a librarian? And so at UCLA, I started going to their library school. And then I started, I was a near completion of the program. I didn't hear anything about librarians of color. And so that was one motivation for me uh, when I decided to go back for my PhD to kind of educate people, uh, aspiring librarians about the contributions of people of color in the field. And so I think that's important for us to, um, to do because there is a long history of people who have, I, I, uh, who have contributed to the profession that is not um, taught in library science programs. Um, one of the, my book that I wrote on E.J. Josie, I didn't find out about him until the quarter before graduating from, the, from my two-year program. And so one of the things that I do in my program, I teach a course called Libraries, or well, Information Professions in Society. And so one of the things that I do, I use that as an opportunity to educate the um, emerging librarians and information professionals about contributions of people of color in the field. So we talk about people like Josie, Clara Stanton-Jones, Augusta Baker, and a whole host of other people who have made these significant contributions to the field. And so I think that's really important um, to do that. I not only do it in that class, but I also do it in other courses that I teach as well, our typical reference course. Um, we um, deal with issues of race, equity, and diversity in, in those courses as well. That's a great point, and um, it leads really to our next question. So your book speaks about the inspiring life and career of um, E.J. Josie, a transformative Black library leader. Can you speak a bit more about the importance of the book and what you hope people will learn from it or take from it? Yes, I mean, he is a transformational leader, period, in the LA, right? Black, white, whatever. I feel like what Josie did, his contribution, he really set a blueprint for other leaders. 
Um, the great thing about Josie, just me having to have spent time with him and just doing all the research is that um, he was fierce. He was, um, he was um, focused. He wouldn't let anyone sideline him or um, take him away from his goal. And so he has the perfect model for leadership in, in, in those qualities. He, had, he was visionary. He knew how to um, inspire people, to galvanize people. He, uh, like I said, he wouldn't take no for an answer to uh, in getting his agenda across. And his primary agenda was really for equity in the field, right? To, for um, Blacks to have representation. He came up from in the South where he could not even go to a library. His library was really dilapidated in the South. He didn't really um, experience library until he joined the military. And so all these things that he experienced in his early years really formed who he was as an adult and as a librarian. Um, and, and, and he went on to be as an educator in the field. So his model of just diligence and focus and mentoring other black people, bringing up people behind him, um, people um, bringing up you know, to where he is to inspire them to be leaders. Um, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar, but he has mentored um, so many Black, Hispanic, um, Caucasian librarians and Asian American um, librarians in the field is, 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 I don't think I've heard of anyone like him who has done those types of things. And I think that's so, so needed in our, our field today. I feel like we do have some great leaders, um, leaders of ALA and past leaders. Um, but his diligence and his fierceness and his refusal to say no and his ability just to galvanize people around his vision, I think is an extraordinary blueprint um, model for leadership. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, just all of those things that you said about him, I, I have found, at least for myself, that I wish that I had been able to meet him or know him in some kind of way. And um, the impact that he's made on the field is just um, unmatched, honestly. Um, so yeah, the what you've written about him, um, I know there are a lot of people who are um, major fans of his and everybody was excited about um, your book. Um, so to uh, kind of switch a little bit to a different stream, um, our final question, can you talk a, a bit about racial battle fatigue and how that has impacted women of color in LIS, uh, particularly Black women faculty, and what can we do to combat it? Yes, um, you probably know I wrote a piece about this a couple, couple years ago, last year sometime about racial battle fatigue. That whole model, that whole theory of racial battle fatigue emanated from um, education. Um, and so this whole idea that um, African-American women or just black women in general in LIS, um, they experience unique challenges on, on many levels um, in terms of um, not being taken serious enough. Um, for in academia, 
the, the goalpost is to receive tenure. And that's after six years um, doing uh, rigorous research, teaching and service in the profession. And so there are a lot of blacks in general who don't make tenure at these universities. And then once you, you get tenure, then you go on to full professors. I can't think of any black woman who is a full professor in, this, in our discipline. And so that's just kind of, um, it speaks to the fact that there are unique challenges that black women, me, myself, um, experience. For example, not, like I said, not taken serious. Research areas not really taken serious. A lot of blacks, uh, female research issues that are really important to black community. So sometimes that research is not really taken serious as, as opposed to other types of research. Um, and sometimes we have to fight off, you know, the fact that, oh, we belong to be, we, des we deserve to be here because we've worked our pants off to be here. Um, and so because of that, um, and there are so many different examples that I can kind of provide to you, just some of my colleagues in the, in the field who have experienced and I've experienced uh, myself um, as to, you know, the fatigue that it comes with. You're already working hard to really um, publish and then do, um, do research. You do presentations, you teach. Um, there's such a demand for teaching um, at a high level and doing service at the university, service um, within the profession, um, and then service within your department. So you're being pulled from all these different directions. And so, and, um, because of that, I feel that you have that burnout just with the job, and then you have this extra layer of racism that you experience because you're not expected, you're not considered um, often, not saying always, but often you're not considered, um, your research may not be considered the same as other colleagues. Um, you may be expected to work on committees because you may be the only black person in your department, you may be the only black person in your school, you may be the only black person in your at your university. And I'm sure librarians experience this as well. So that type of fatigue tends to um, it can you, it, it's it's very hard to deal with. You can you can, you can internalize it. And then I, I've known colleagues who have been hospitalized because of it. They have um, developed illnesses because of it. Um, and I think there is a study, I can't think of it off the top of my head, whereby um, African-Americans in general, just not women, um, they tend to have chronic diseases and there is no direct correlation with that, with whole racial battle fatigue, but you can't, I mean, there's no research that proves that, but well, I, I feel like they're somehow connected. And so, um, yeah, it, it is something that is serious and often people tend to, tend to, to leave academia because of it, because it really it comes down to your health, physical, as well as mental health, um, dealing with some of these challenges. Uh, yeah, I think um, this is something that uh, I, I kind of have particular interest in because I am a doctoral student and, um, I'm already seeing um, some of, you know, of what happens just from the student perspective in LIS and, um, and kind of thinking about 
how I, I will be able to go forward and, and make sure that I'm okay. <laughs> um, but like you said, uh, like as you mentioned before, this is, you know, definitely not just about um, LIS faculty, but then, you know, anyone working in LIS and libraries dealing with some of the same um, issues, obviously. So across the board, it's something that um, I think, you know, we all have to to think about and actually kind of have a plan in order to deal with uh, what comes our way in terms of this, you know, racial battle fatigue and, um, you know, how can we get through it intact without, you know, it really damaging us and that's what I'm concerned with and I know that some this is things this is a kind of topic that not necessarily in in the in the frame of racial battle fatigue but just in general a lot of things that we have to deal with in the profession and even you know just by people outside of in in any profession really <laughs> you absolutely. know <laughs> absolutely but but I think if you're working at like okay I'm glad you brought up that you're a doctoral student and you're experiencing it because it does start before it start. I mean, I have um, in the piece that I wrote, I described there are incidents that occurred prior to becoming a professor that I witnessed from uh, members of my cohort while I was in graduate school. And so it does start. And I think when you're in predominant spaces, predominant white institutions, you're gonna have that. It's, it's, all, it's almost inevitable. And I'm happy to chat with you afterwards to, to, to um, provide to you like some suggestions for how to handle it. But I do think it's important. I'd like to say it on record that I think it's important for, um, and, and, and this has become so cliche, um, the whole self-care um, term. I mean, I feel like we do need that, but I feel like we shouldn't have to need that. We shouldn't have to say self-care, right? Um, there are things that I, I think we can do. Um, and I think a lot of it, we kind of internalize. I was fortunate when I was in graduate school that I had a really good um, um, friend who is, has become my lifelong friend. Um, and every day I was challenged and we had this thing about, Oh, like, oh, I'm gonna quit today, I can't do it, I can't do it. And she would say, suck it up. And then she would do the same thing. And I'm like, suck it up. And then we're like, let's go for drinks, right? So that was our way of kind of, you know, commiserating, you know, talking in it through and just like, we never really were planning to, you know, quit, but it was our, it was how we were feeling in the moment. But I'm happy to share with you some off, off. Yes, I would love that. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> okay. But yes, I, I would love yeah. that too. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Nuggets of wisdom are always received. Guys. Okay. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think it's important to share that like as loudly and as often as you can, right? Because people are looking for those tools and those techniques to sustain themselves, whether they're in a program or not, right? Because a lot of times um, what you would face as a student, sometimes um, if you come straight into, you know, librarianship, straight from uh, grad school, they treat you the same as you, you've never left being a student, right? And you are supposed to be taught whether um, you have the experience or not. So I think it's important to share these tools and to talk about what's going on in the field because we're not okay. And we need to start getting to 
okay and then thriving, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. How can we get past okay to thriving? I think that's <laughs> that's the struggle, obviously, but yeah, that's where where we need to be headed. It's where we need to be, period. Period. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. I, I guess that is the, the end of our questions that we have for you, but um, I'm so grateful for you know everything that you've shared with us today. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Thank you. We hope you learned more about Dr. Chancellor. We'd like to share a quote with you before we sign off. You can't be what you can't see. Marion Wright Elderman. Remember to keep walking in your lip voices and please follow us on all of our social media pages.